Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the NBA Finals got underway, and that was not very entertaining at all, to be honest with you. Miami started fast. They were up 13. It was 25-12. to 12. You're like, wow, they came out and really, really put it on the Lakers. And then the Lakers went on a massive run and dominated the rest of the game. It was a 30-point turnaround by halftime. They went from 13 down to 17 up in a quarter and a half. And let me tell you, at halftime, it felt like it was over. Goran Dragic leaves with uh, apparently a foot injury, and Bam Adebayo is out with a shoulder injury, and it didn't look good. Now, are they out long-term? Are they out short-term? Spolstra really hedged on that in the post-game interview, so we'll see how serious those injuries are. But they're really, outside those first six minutes, there just wasn't much that looked good for Miami. I mean, the Lakers really did whatever they wanted to do. They just dominated. They took that 17-point lead. They pushed it up over 20, and I was off watching baseball. I mean, it was just the Lakers had them. It was like watching Big Brother beat up on Little Brother. You know, that 11th grader made the varsity this year. I think he's going to beat his brother who's in the 7th grade. Yeah, you think. One of them's hit puberty. Maybe Miami can turn it around. Jimmy Butler said things afterwards that, um, you know, we didn't didn't rebound. We didn't get back on defense. They did give up a bunch of transition hoops. Um, We know what we have to do. We can watch all the film we want. But we already know what we have to do. And we have to come back with or without Dragic. And we have to make it 1-1. So Butler said all the right things. I just, I think it's uh, very easy to question their ability to do that. We'll find out. Game 2 is Friday night. Uh, As far as the baseball playoffs, uh, home field advantage means nothing. (laughs) The Yankees in Cleveland closed them out. A back and forth game. They got down big early. Hit a grand slam. Game had 19 walks. It went on forever. It went on forever. Oakland did win at home and get their series to 1-1. But a lot of series, uh, man. Well, I guess the National League split because the Dodgers won at home. They got it done at home. Uh, The Padres did not. The Cardinals got them for four in the uh, first and then beat them seven to four. Base running blunders from the Padres. It was horrible. I don't even want to get into it. Anyway, same guy got thrown out twice in the base pass. Bad. Very bad. Uh, The Dodgers got it done. The Reds went one for 12 with runners in scoring position. That's never good. Uh, They got beat by Atlanta in 13 innings. Um, And Miami went in and beat Chicago. So... uh, we, we In the American League, we've already got some series coming to a close. Minnesota has lost 18 playoff games in a row, and Houston's already sent them packing. And then the Astros, what are they going to say about us now? Hey, you were under 500 for 60 games. Shut up. Congratulations. You beat a team that always loses in the playoffs. We'll see. A lot of you guys didn't hit a lick without the trash can banging, telling you what was coming. My gosh. The ego on the Astros. It is so easy to root against them. They have surpassed the Yankees quickly and easily in the race for the least likable Major League team. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 in the zone. We've got some college football to get to next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, time for a little BYU football. Time to hear from BYU football coach Kalani Sataki. These guys are 2-0. They're playing Louisiana Tech Friday night. They're 23.5 point favorites. Uh, that is a massive margin. But when you see the fact that Tech's giving up 34 points a game and you see how the BYU offense is scoring, you're thinking, how in the world is Louisiana Tech going to slow these guys down? It really has to be turnovers because it doesn't look like they can stop them three or four plays in a row. I think we've already seen with Kalani going for it twice on fourth and one. He believes in that old line. So if he's punting, it's probably fourth and four or fourth and five because I think if it's fourth and one or fourth and two, they're going for it. And they're going to try and uh, convert because they believe in the O-line. And I think if you're playing the odds, that's the smart call. I think I'd be aggressive on 4th and 1 and 4th and 2. And they had some success with it last week. Converted a couple of 4th and 1s early in the game when I thought it really mattered. Nothing after that really mattered. But at that point, it mattered. So look for that. Here's Kalani with the media on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Good to be here. Just uh, thankful for for this week and looking forward to the preparation to be a short turnaround game being on Friday. Um, our guys are excited. Uh, watched all the film on Louisiana Tech and their well-coached team. Skip Holtz is a great coach. He's been there for a number of years, so they have their identity, their culture, everything's in place. Um, looking for uh, the matchup against a really experienced team. They have a lot of returners, had a lot of success last year, won 10 games and beat Miami that's tearing people apart right now to beat them in the bowl game so uh, we, we know we're getting a quality opponent coming into to our house and uh, we, we know we have to get some things done and, and looking forward to our preparation today but uh, you know we, we see some some of the things that they highlight their speed and athleticism and they, they have some big guys up front so it's going to be another test of our toughness and our and the physical part of the game so looking forward to the matchup and uh you know, I'm just uh, excited to be playing football. So, like, any questions you guys have for us or for me? Kalani, we're officially about a month into the season now. You've only played the two games, but you've been through a lot of adversity. What have you learned about your team through this first month? I learned to have a good group of, of young men. I mean, I've always loved these guys, and being head coach here has been awesome for me to be a part of, the, of this program. Um, but just to see our guys uh, lead the way and the, the number of veterans on our on our team has been uh, really helpful throughout the process. Throughout since March, you know, these guys have been uh, well led by the players, and, and I'm thankful that I have great coaches helping uh, mentor them along the way too. So it's been it's been a, a, a a lot of growth during during this time uh, facing adversity, but uh, it's, it's made us a lot closer as a group. Kalani, uh, just looking at the defensive performance, the first two games over the course of two games, you've held your opponents to a combined total of ten points and three hundred and thirty yards. What what factor has just the experience on that side of the ball had in in the, having that kind of success defensively? Well, I think you said it. The, the the experience from our players is really important, but uh, the experience in our coaching staff as well. You know, we have, uh, you know, with with Elisa and Ed and Preston and Gennaro done a great job working together. Them along with our our analysts and our and our graduate assistants have uh, done a great job um, preparing our players, but. 
that in con- in combination with our with our players that we have so many different guys that have played a lot of different. I mean, I, I say we're a veteran group, but you still look at a good bulk of our our, our linebackers are still sophomores, you know, and so, uh, but they played a lot of games, and so just the, the experience and the maturity and the leadership that we're seeing from, from that I'm seeing as a head coach from the coaches and the and the players, it's it's uh, something special. So, hopefully, we can keep working on it and, and keep getting better. There's still a lot of things that we got to improve on. And some things that we can do differently defensively that I think will make us even better. Um, you know, still upset about the seven points and the three points that we gave up. So I think that's the way you're supposed to approach it. You know, how how do we get those plays up and where where are we giving up some plays and where can we, uh, you know, maximize the strengths that we have and, and, and uh, build upon it and get better? Hey, Coach, I don't, I don't know how well you know uh, Skip Holtz, maybe on a personal level, but can you just talk about being able to coach against a guy who has so much experience at the college level and kind of the name to go along with that as well? Oh, yeah, I, I, I've had, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of our coaches' events, and I've been around him uh, quite a bit, and I've been really impressed with his, with his leadership style and his way to connect with, his, with, with just regular people, you know, and then and, and watching him. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, you know, being the son of a legend, right? And so I think uh, more importantly, though, you see the things that he's done as a coach, especially at La Tech and, and the identity that they have and, and then um, being able to get the most out of his players. That's where you can really tell what a coach has been able to accomplish and, and the things that he does with his team and the toughness, the the, the basically the, the, their big playmaking ability. I mean, they scored a bunch of points uh, this last game and, and they, they're a resilient group. They were down early against um, Southern Miss and they came back and won that game. And so they, that that's indicative of, of – uh, the great leader and starts from the top as a head coach. And I think he does a great job at it. And he, he's put together a fine staff. And so, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of admiration for the coaches out there that they coach their teams, but someone that has been able to do it for a while, I think he's in his eighth year now there. And that's, uh, that's really impressive. The things that he's been able to do as a head coach there. Kalani, do you or your coaching staff have to talk to your players about providing their own energy and their own hype since there are no fans in the stands? And if, and if you do, what ways have they been able to do that other than the dancing, I guess, which is getting a lot of play? Hey, we're going to, we're going to turn up the notch on dancing even more now, just because everyone's giving it so much, so much attention. No, I, I think, uh, it's one of our guys enjoy the moment, man, have fun with the game. And, and that's for the coaches too. You know, this is, we, we all got into this 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 business because of the game and we and the sport we love it and the competition and uh, and so we're just trying to keep our guys loose and I don't think there's anything specific that we talk about I, I know that um, I focus on trying to help the players you know teach them some dance moves we went to, with the cabbage patch this last week and I just thought that it would be fun to teach them some old school moves that we did back when I was younger you know and um, but just wanted to. I, I mentioned the players that it's only it's only for the sideline, not on the field. And I noticed Isaac Rex did a little bit of it, and so I'm gonna have to talk to him about listening. But I, I mean, we have a, a good group of young men, and the energy that we have, they they do that all the time. It, it's it's been like that often, you know, on the sidelines. It's just easier to notice it now because there's no fans. I mean, that's you you know when you look at a regular game and they usually go to fans or the reaction the fans are giving you whether it's good or bad and now there's nothing out there the only place they can go is to our 
you know, our, our sidelines or the other team's sidelines. And but that that if you watch college football, the sidelines have been going crazy for years it's not just just this year we're getting a lot of attention because there's nothing else to look at you know and that's in the nfl level too so um the guys love the game of football and it's exciting to compete and then and our players are very thankful for the opportunity that they have to play uh, in this game and then and, and i just want to make sure that they take every advantage of it even the, the sideline demeanor Kalani, you guys have had success moving guys to different positions throughout your tenure at BYU. I wanted to ask you in specific about a guy like Caden Haas. He played offensive line down there in Arkansas, comes to BYU as an offensive line, but now he's a backup nose tackle. What made you think he, he could succeed at that position making that switch? Because he's tough and he loves football and he's strong. You know, and that's uh, I can coach tough guys. That, that's an easy thing for me to do. And so uh, when we know we have depth in a lot of different places, um, you know, we thought Caden Hawes could really help us out, especially with us missing some guys at the D line and also having some guys that, that were kind of nursing some injuries in the offseason. It seemed like a, a good transition for us to go with. And then uh, I just love the fact that he's a tough kid. He, he played really well in this last game, you know, and he's starting to come into his own for for a guy that hasn't had a lot of experience playing D-line it's because he's tough and strong if you, if you could see this kid work out in the weight room then you'd you'd understand why coach Tuyaki was chomping at the bit to get him on the on D-line and so he fits the the, the personnel there and then I think uh I think he's got a, a big future there for us Kalani, one of the um, buzzwords coming into the season was, was maybe uh, identity. Uh, after you know two weeks of, of some really impressive play from your squad, uh, do you feel that identity in all three phases has been established now in your program? I think that's something that you still keep working on, you know, and, and it's like um, – it's like like the, the the concept of nicknames. You you never make up your own, right? And so the same thing with identity. I think you let your opponents dictate what the identity was um, when they face us. And so uh, we'll, we'll worry about just trying to do the, some of the fundamental things that we would try to do as a program and the accountability and focus on on some of the things that we feel are strengths. And then we'll let others d- decide how they felt when they played us if if, if the identity was was present or not and so we'll just keep working on on everything right now we're focused on trying to get this louisiana tech game going and and um you know prepping for them they're a really good team and so um just yeah we'll, we'll let others let you guys and everybody else just decide whether or not the identity has been been placed hey kalani i'm just curious if you could describe how difficult these weeks are in doing game prep not knowing if you'll have a full set of players in this pandemic era, just what's that like for a coaching staff? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little different. I mean, it's way different, actually. You just have to kind of factor in who, who could possibly now you're, you're doing a depth chart and you're trying to get practice ready. And then you're still having to decide that anxiety of the stress of, of a, a test result. And, and, you know, then you're dealing with contact tracing. You're trying to space guys out so that that, that doesn't become an issue. Trying to keep it a low risk environment so that it only affects that person that tests positive. And then you have to decide whether or not um, you can get other guys 
you know, working in different places. So we have to cross train a lot more uh, now than we ever have before, meaning guys playing different positions. We feel like we have a good group. I'll give an example, a good group of backers that can play more than one position, but it doesn't allow you just to let them settle in that one spot because you have to deal with uh, with COVID testing. And then when you get close to it, you, you, you get to game time and you kind of settle into it. But, you know, that 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 does add a few change-ups that you don't plan on and a little bit different than what most coaches would do. We usually do that in spring, you know, where we cross-train quite a bit. But now it's just part of uh, everyday football, you know, in college football in, in, in the year 2020. Then I just wanted to ask about the running back situation. And it just seems like you guys have been cursed with running back injuries. Is that just a fluke thing or can you put a finger on why for some reason you've had some to go through so many? Um, yeah, well, I think, you know, game of football is, is, is hard to predict, you know, and, and the guys train really hard in the off season. We go through training in, in fall camp and practices. And so, um, you have these injuries that happen, and and some of them are pre-existing injuries. For example, Chaz IU, he had, you know, we had the injury didn't happen this year. That's going to force him out for the season. It just he had something that banged him up. We knew he was going to have to have surgery at the end of the year because he's a tough kid and can. And I mean, to pay to play with the type of pain that he has to overcome, that that's difficult, you know. And and when we had. He had a little uh, a little minor setback, and it just seemed like the best decision for for him and his family to make, and for his future was to to get ready for 2021, rather than prolong this this uh, season, and 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 just kind of play through the pain, which he's willing to do for his team and his, and for the fans. But um, when it all came down to it, I think we had to discuss what's the best thing for the longevity of his career, and and also looking into 2021. So he'll be back a lot faster and have more time in the offseason to prep for, for that next season. Um, so when you factor all those injuries that goes on, you know, the running back room, I mean, they carry the ball quite a bit and they have to they have to deal with so many different things that's unique. They have to block D linemen and linebackers and then they have to run routes on DBs and be in space and hand hand the ball hand the ball off to them. They do things that are different than everybody else, you know. So I think they're they're probably targeted a little bit more and probably go through a lot more uh, of a bulk of a load and that than uh, other positions probably wouldn't have to. So uh, but you know we're lucky we have great coaches and and that can 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 adjust and then we have some depth as well. So I think you guys saw Miles Davis get some reps. We still feel really good about Chase Wester there and and uh, even Kavika Fanua can go over and play. Kalani, uh, Zach's beginning to the season has been pretty remarkable. How much do you attribute his overall health and the fact that he is healthy to the way he's played over the first two games? Yeah, that has a huge part of it. I think also his work ethic and, and you know, he's feeling more comfortable with playing football uh, and being a, a starter, you know, that that's something that the experience he's had, I think is paying off for him, but um, the kid's always going to work hard. And, and when he's healthy, he can do a lot more in his off season and, and his preparation, but his, his mind has been working since he first got, I mean, he's, he's been, set to play football since he was young you know when he was at corner canyon but and even maybe even before that but i think um his mind his preparation has always been there and his body's the the thing that needs to keep up and once it's all clicking i think 
I think he can be, he can do some special things for us. Kalani on the receiving end, a lot of those passes from, from Zach Wilson are guys whose roles have been elevated, uh, stepping in for guys who've graduated or injured. How would you evaluate the wide receivers, tight ends through the first two games? Really good. But I mean, that's, that's just a matter of them getting the opportunities. You know, we, we knew we had something special in this group and they're young. And, and I mean, even the depth there has got some young guys that we think are very capable and, um, yeah, I think Gunner's doing exactly what we thought he would do, you know, and same thing with Dax and Neil. And and then you got a good group of young guys behind them. And I thought Isaac has done some good things. Isaac Rex and Carter Wheat, Lane Lunt, um, Mason Wake, those guys have done a great job filling in for, for Matt Bushman. And so, um, and they're all still young. I mean, they're, they're still cutting their teeth right now in the game of football, you know, but uh, I from the physical part of it and from the mental part of it, I've been really pleased with their, with their, uh, you know, stepping up to the, to, to the call when, when their numbers, uh, you know, being caught on and stepping up to the plate when, whenever uh, we ask them to do anything. And then it's a versatile group, you know, you see Mason is considered a tight end, but he can, you know, he's a fullback, man. I love fullbacks. You know how I feel about that. So the fact that he got to have two touchdowns, man, that's like a fullback stream. So just love seeing him make plays out there and, uh, I think Steve Clark's done a great job coaching the, the tight ends up and just like Harvey's done a great job prepping the, the running backs. And so uh, really looking forward to those guys stepping up and Fessy's done a great job with the, with the receivers. Just got to keep it going, right? Uh, we've had two games where we've done some good things and trying to get the third. So we'll focus on this now and pat them on the back enough. We've got to get working. Kalani, you guys rely heavily on sports medicine in a normal year to help work through injuries and things like that. This year's been a unique challenge for them as well. Can you talk about the people over there, the reliance, the relationships that you guys have with them as you've gone through the COVID challenges and everything this season? Yeah, we've had great relationship with them and the administration. And I think the, the key is they, they do as much as they can to educate us and keep us, I mean, updated on what's happening with COVID and um, among other things, you know, with, with injuries and things like that. But uh, I think um, for the most part, I've been really pleased with how our players have been able to take instructions and going through the, the whole testing part of our it's just it's a uh, different than what we've ever had to do but uh, our players have handled it well and, and, and I, I I'm really excited about the leadership from Carolyn and sports medicine department that, what they've given us just like I am with the administration and Tom Homo. And Kalani, uh, what does the, the schedule look like for when COVID tests are, are actually administered? Do you guys test players right after a game out? How, how does that work with the, the three tests when they're administered to the players? I think it's very depending on, on when we can get the um, the test done. So we had, I think for us, it's just as soon as we can get it done, right? When we get back from travel or, or uh, as soon as we're we, we allowed to get the guys back in here and, and test them out. So mo- most of the time, um, it's during the day where we can get the, the guys in here and, and give them kind of like a, a two-hour, two two-and-a-half-hour window to come in here and get their, their tests done. But I think it all plans on I, I don't make the schedule up so it all depends on when our when trying to time it before we get to our, our schedule scheduled games and this being Friday make make things a little bit different. There's Kalani Sataki, BYU football coach. When we come back, the former Cougar linebacker, former NFL player David Nixon talking Cougars. Stay with us. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We got a big dose of college football Coming up for you right now. If you love college football, stick around for the next hour and a half because we're going to be hitting it hard here. Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs football coach, is going to join us coming up at 9.05. Tech is a 23.5 point underdog against BYU. The game's Friday night, 7 o'clock. And, you know, there are a lot of things to analyze. I think a clear and obvious strength of this Cougar football team is the offensive line. And I know that's not sexy and that's not exciting and that's not really what you want to spend a lot of time talking about on Sports Talk Radio because offensive line doesn't really motivate a lot of people besides Hans Olsen. But when your offensive line is that good and you can push one team up and down the field and then pass protect while your quarterback throws for almost 400 yards in the next game, you, you got a pretty serious advantage here. And there is one problem for uh, Louisiana Tech that I think the offensive line is going to complement quite well. And I think that that is the reason that BYU is a 23.5 point uh, favorite in this game. So we'll talk with Skip Holtz about that. He'll kind of lay it out. He knows where he's got a problem on his team, and he knows why he's got a problem, and he'll spell that out for you coming up at 9.05. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in David Nixon, former BYU linebacker. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. DJ, what's going on? Well, we're here to talk about a game where BYU is favored to squash somebody for the third straight game. And I'm wondering, as a former Cougar, do you really enjoy that? Or is it, you don't want to say it out loud, but it kind of bores you? Uh, You know what? A little bit of both. I think I err on the side that I really enjoy it. I mean, listen, this fan base has been through the up and downs of losses to... Uh, UMass and Northern Illinois and last year Toledo at USF. And so, if anything, I think this fan base loves the fact that BYU is going out there taking care of business uh, against teams that they should, you know, they should go out there and single-handedly win. And they're doing just that. So, uh, I, uh, I, I think I err more on the side of I enjoy this. But I will tell you this, with the schedule that BYU has, if it continues to happen, it's going to get a little boring throughout the season if they continue to roll the way they're rolling. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, it's been it's been fun to watch. So I wondered about Louisiana Tech, uh, but they played a couple games here. They've given up a lot of points. They've given up 34 points a game. That's just through two games. And one of the games, they gave up a lot of points to Houston Baptist, but they were scoring 66 points. I don't know how much intensity. When you were out there in a game and the offense was just scoring at will, did the defense ever lose its edge? Not you personally. You would never do that, David, but did some never. of your other guys lose their edge? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, in fact, I think it does the exact opposite. I, I think uh, as a defensive unit, if you're watching your offense just march up and down the field, put points up, it energizes you as a whole as a unit, uh, and it makes you want to go out there and get the ball back in their hands as fast as possible. In fact, I remember that uh, happening my senior year when we played UCLA. I think we beat no, like 50, yeah. 50, was it 59 to nothing, <laughs> or I think we maybe let a touchdown late in the game. I can't remember what it was, but it was something crazy. 
And it was one of those things where, like I said, we, we continue to feed off each other. And um, it's, it's a really – it's hard to explain, but it's a really cool feeling whenever all sides of the team are, are clicking because – once again, during the week in practice, the defense and offense—you know—you've got your scout teams going. So you really aren't practicing much together. Yeah, you'll do some one-on-ones um, and maybe do some eleven-on-eleven late, late in practice. But for the majority of practice, defense on one side of the field and offenses on the other side doing their own thing. Uh, and so game days, when game days roll around, it's kind of one of your first opportunities to be together as a whole team and uh, and to have the same objective and goal, and that's to go out there and whoop that team across from you on the sideline and. And so I think you, you feed off each other and you start to build that momentum and, and you, see, you can kind of see what the result is. But um, now, I, I, I will say this. I was, in a, I, I was at the stadium and it was, it was a weird feeling being there. Um, but I will say the BYU did a great job of kind of creating their own energy on the sideline, creating their own, their own buzz. And uh, you could hear all the guys, the BYU guys yelling and hooting and hollering. And, of course, you saw the dancing they did on the sidelines and all that stuff. But – um, you know, that's that's something this year that with COVID, they've, they've got to go out there and, and pump each other up. So while the defense is out there balling out, the offense hopefully is on the sideline uh, cheering them on and vice versa and, and creating that kind of crowd noise, if you will. David Nixon, former BYU linebacker, joining us here. So I'm curious as you watch the BYU offensive line uh, push people around in Navy and make the game really easy to win. And then pass protect for a quarterback is throwing for almost 400 yards. So they're showing, you know, hey, they can, they can dominate in different ways. As a former linebacker, when you're facing an offensive line that's that, got that kind of advantage, what do you expect your defense to do? What could you throw at an offensive line that's that, that kind of advantage to get your team back in the game? Because when you're getting dominated like that by an offensive line, you're usually in trouble. Yeah, listen, it's, if you're opposing defense right now, it's one of those things where you just got to pick your poison. I mean, the problem is if you stack 7-8 in the box, uh, then Zach's shown right now the ability to do the play action, and, and he's uh, you know very decisive and, and really accurate right now. So um, if you're opposing defense, it's, it's tough. You, you've got to figure out a way to disguise some things. I think Zach is still working on that. I think if you can bring uh, safeties and backers and, and switch it up a little bit, uh, then, then you maybe can try to create some of that confusion. But if you just try to line up against BYU's offensive line right now, I mean, this, this offense is averaging five yards per carry right now through two games. I mean, it's just and, – and when you go back and watch the film, it's purely that offensive line the surge are getting. I mean, no, no doubt Algeria and Katoa have been playing well, um, but these guys have huge holes to run in. I mean, you, you watch that offensive line just wash down that defensive line, and, of course, the running back has a cutback on the backside and – uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty impressive to see. I mean, I don't think anybody's had an offensive line like this in, in, in decades. I mean, it's, it's something that as a collective unit, yeah, they always have one-off guys that have been pretty solid, but as a unit, this offensive line has been pretty impressive so far. And once again, keep in mind who it's against. It's against Navy and, and uh, Troy. But um, I, I, what I like about this team, and people keep saying that, yeah, it's Navy and Troy. But what I love about this BYU team is what I alluded to at the beginning of this, uh, this segment was you know, in the past, BYU would kind of play down to their opponents and play up to their opponents. I mean, look at USG last year. You looked at Wisconsin years past. They'll play up to their opponents, but also play down. And, and that's not happening this year. This year, they're going out there and, and taking care of business and winning decisively. So um, I think that's what got all, has all fans encouraged is, is the fact that you don't have a, you know, 24 to 17 type game this year. These are blowouts, and they're, and they're doing it on all sides of the ball. 
So uh, you played, obviously, in the NFL for a while. How much more elaborate do defenses get there? How much more complicated? I mean, are you, are you hitting quarterbacks with zone blitzes that they never see in college? You know, is it, if not Louisiana Tech, is there some team out there that would do something like that? Yeah, I will say the NFL, the defenses were much more complex. Uh, and mostly it was because you're facing offenses that are more complex. And so anytime there's a shift or a movement, there's a completely different check on every single one of those. Uh, and, and so, I mean, listen, it's your job, right? So you, you better be in the field room and, and in your playbook understanding what your defense is doing. So uh, that's understandable. But uh, if, you're, if you're losing at Tech, I will say it's always at Tech, having watched uh, some of the film on them from their last few games, uh, this is a team that's pretty similar to Troy in the sense they like to spread it out and air it out. But I will say the personnel uh, and the players themselves are, are much more skilled than Troy was. Uh, and so I, I think this Louisiana Tech team is not going to be as easy and as much of a, a steamroll as we saw with, with Troy last week. Um, but at the same time, it's a team that gave up uh, they got over 400 yards to, to Houston Baptist, and uh, they have some vulnerabilities on their side of the ball as well. So um, I think BYU continues their route and what they've been doing, but this isn't going to be as much of a, a cakewalk this week. So uh, we'll kind of see how it all plays out. Ah, oh, Vegas disagrees with you. 23 and a half points suggests cakewalk. Yeah, especially I think Troy's was like 14 or something. Yeah, 14, I, I 15, th- yeah. Yeah, I think, I think. Uh, I mean, personally, I think Vegas is jumping on the bandwagon just seeing what BYU is doing the first two weeks. Uh, but I think this – I honestly do think this Louisiana Tech team is more skilled and more talented than the first two opponents Julie's faced. And I think, honestly, I think the schedule will start to trend that way as you, as you start to peak towards um, Houston. And then, uh, of course, we'll see what happens with Boise State and potentially getting Army back on the schedule and things like that. I think that I think the uh, the skill level should should continue to increase. But, um, you know, in the meantime, like I said, it's it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's, it's uh, one of those things where BYU fans also in the month of September are kind of used to Thinking their lumps, right? This is typically the month where Fury faces all the P5s, and you're hoping to go two and two against a schedule that uh, they typically have. And, and here they are sitting two and zero, oh and and looking to go three and zero oh this week. I think it's a you know a, a pretty pretty uh, a solid chance that happens. But um, it's it's a different feeling because in, in Independence, usually that's where you take your lumps is in September, then try to rally on the back end, where it's kind of the opposite this year, given the given the whole reschedule. You know, I, I am really curious. Houston has obviously had both good teams and bad teams over the last five or six years. They, you know, and they had a coaching change and all that. And so I don't know how good they are this year. But it's so weird. Every week I want to see their game, and then every week their game is canceled. They've had five games canceled in four weeks. So when you're looking for a difficult BYU opponent, somebody who's got a little name, a rep, Obviously, getting Boise State on the schedule, I think it'll happen. I can't guarantee it, but I, I think it's likely. And and Houston's another chance, but I had literally have no idea because I haven't seen Houston play because they haven't been able to play a game yet, which is the weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think we're all in the same boat. I mean, traditionally, Houston, uh, you know, Houston's one of those schools like a, like an SMU where they pick up a lot of scraps in Texas of the talent that doesn't get picked up by A and M or UT or TCU. Or Texas Tech, and they kind of they kind of fall to to a team like Houston. So they usually can put together and build together a pretty solid team. Given you know Herman went to Texas, and they, like you said, they've had coaching changes and things like that. But um, you know, it's, it's a name that's that's traditionally been a pretty solid team. They're not a you know, cupcake like some of these other teams BYU has on their schedule. So I think all the fans are hoping that when they finally do get to play, if that ever happens to this guy, these guys. By the way, I I can't imagine being. 
a Houston player and each week preparing to go out there and play and, and next thing you know, halfway into the week or the beginning of the week, they announced that it's canceled because the other team isn't being responsible. And I think Houston, maybe it's their fault one or two of those weeks as well. But it's just a, it's a crazy deal. Emotionally, it's got to be a, just a massive roller coaster. Um, because once again, these guys, you only in football, you only have 12 to 13 games. I mean, it's not like basketball where you're doing you know 30 plus. Uh, in other sports, baseball, where, where you're playing a lot. Uh, football, you only have these 13, 12, 13 opportunities that you pre- prepare for all year and, and all off season and, and go through fall camp. I mean, so much work that goes into this. And to have, you know, now three, four, I mean, I think, I think it's up to four now that have been canceled. It's just, man, it's, uh, I, I honestly can't imagine. But uh, the hope is they get out and, and get to play. And, of course, now BYU fans, it's funny, BYU fans now are, are watching all these other schools that they, they have played and they will play, and, and they're all rooting hard for it because, yeah, we get it that they're not going to probably be ranked, but if they can go in there and show that they beat a 3-0 or 4-0 UTSA team or Texas State or Western Kentucky – uh, you know, I, I think that fares well for BYU now that they're ranked and, and trying to climb up in those rankings and, and kind of bolster their their RPI, if you will. Yeah, well, Houston's not scheduled to play this week. They'll uh, their opener will be October eighth against Tulane, and then they'll have BYU. So that's that's where that one sits. Uh, I'm curious as you watch this um, if there if BYU is going to get beat, how would a team? attack the Cougars. I don't know if it's a weak spot or the weakest spot. And obviously, a little bit of this will go to who the, where the opponent's strength is. But as you watch the Cougars, is there something you may be able to see where you think, this is where a team will go at the Y? I think defensively, if you're facing BYU as a defense, I think you have to plan on manning up on the outside with, with these receivers uh, and, and just loading the box. And, and you got to force BYU into throwing the ball. And, of course, you have to force Zach into to making bad decisions. And a lot of that becomes with baiting. Uh, so you get into to zone-type defense as well. Uh, and, and you kind of lack back, but then be ready to jump on routes. Uh, but you've got to stop the run against this offense because the thing is, when you go back and watch the film of BYU's offense, they do a fantastic job of play action. And then Zach has all day in the pocket. The backers suck up, and he's done a great job of hitting those deep digs across the middle. Um, and then, of course, you know, he has all day back there, so a lot of the go routes were there. There's a slam and go uh, to, uh, I want to say it's a Dax Milne uh, on Saturday that he hit uh, for, for a touchdown. So those are some things I think defensively. Offensively, you're facing BYU. Uh, you got to start with, with blocking Kyrus Tonga up front. I mean, uh, Troy struggled doing that, and, and he, it resulted in two sacks with, with Kyrus. Uh, and then, of course, the rest of the team, you had Batty had a sack and Zach Dahl had a sack. How about BYU having nine sacks through the first two games? And, you, and that's especially going against the Navy team that didn't even like to throw the ball, uh, that BYU came up with five sacks. So pretty impressive from a unit that really struggled last year. They got a lot of grief for the whole drop eight concept and it's finally getting some pressure it's been fun to watch there but uh, I think you got to stop Kyrus Tonga and then you know BYU's strength right now is this linebacker unit I think everyone came into the season looking at the deep the secondary realizing uh, BYU had a lot of a lot of depth there a lot of veteran guys coming back off injuries with Troy Warner, Zane Anderson, Chris Wilcox those those guys uh, but this linebacker unit has really uh, shown up and, and I mean they're ultimate playmakers so the front seven for me is something you've got to, you'd have to scheme and try to attack. But, I mean, obviously, you know, the coaches on the other side of the ball are getting paid to do that. They still haven't found a way to make it happen to the first two games. So uh, it's not an easy task to do. But, but uh, if, if I were a coach, that's probably what I would go after. Um, but it's, like I said, it's fun to watch this BOE team be a, a complete unit. I think in years past, you'd have the defense would be playing really well and offense would struggle and vice versa. 
Uh, and shoot, even special teams. You know, you look at Jake Olroy with that 54-yard field goal at the end of the first half. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a 50-plus yarder made by a BYU kicker. I mean, so it's, I know you, all you fans, that's something standard for them with all the great kickers they've had. But uh, for BYU, it's, it's been something that's, that's been lacking in, in the years past. So nice to see a weapon there as well. So really rolling in all three phases. So I suspect I expect we kind of have some BYU fans who are just uh, you know coming back to consciousness because you probably knocked them out early in the interview. Uh, you came hard with the whole winning the games they're supposed to win, and then you put salt in the wound by literally listing the humiliating losses: Northern Illinois, UMass, Toledo. I got to admit, I was a little stunned. You know, I was like, I was like the boxer needs a standing aid. I wasn't down, but the ref knew I was in trouble. <laughs> listen, listen, you you got to keep the fan base, you gotta, you gotta remember, you gotta keep them humble with, with, with what the history shows, uh, but that's what's great that this team is promising, right? I, right, but I I, really, so I'm curious why, because we know they were supposed to win those games. They were supposed to beat UMass, not lose that game. Now, last year, they did to UMass what I think everyone wanted them to do, right? McChesney ran for 5 billion yards and they won the game. Why is this team taking care of business? What corner has been turned why this when we got this history where it wasn't happening and now they're taking care of business i think i think it's a pretty simple answer i think it all comes down to experience and leadership i mean keep in mind during those losses you had a freshman quarterback zach wilson who's just learning the offense you had a freshman gun around the out there on the outside you had freshman uh line i mean you look at brady chris has been starting for three years now i mean you look across the board, BYU was very, very young when they were taking those lumps just a few years ago. A lot of guys, because of injuries or whatever it may have been, uh, were forced into starting roles as really young underclassmen. Uh, and, and Kalani's mentioned this, that they kind of look forward to this year, this year and next year, really, as the year that they've, you know, finally the rebuild is coming around. And, and frankly, I think that's why Tom Homo went out there and extended Kalani, because he realized that. Kalani's been trying to build something up that they, they really felt like the cover was pretty bare after Bronco left, uh, and, and they felt like they had to go out there and get their own recruits uh, who then, of course, come and then go on missions. And so it really takes four or five years for these guys to cycle through and be ready to, to be major contributors. And, and that's where we sit right now, that a lot of these guys who were thrust into starting roles young and early um, are finally now upperclassmen. Uh, they've got that game experience, and now they're you know now it's results on the field with the way they're and so uh, it was just a really young team. And of course, I, I hate that excuse. As, as a former player, I hate when coaches say, hey, it's just a really young team. We're, we're trying to learn. But it's the truth. If you don't have senior leadership, if you don't have that type of experience, you've got a whole bunch of freshmen playing, you're not going to be a great team. It's just how it is. Uh, and that's how B- what BYU was facing just a couple years ago when they lost to all those teams we've already, already rattled off. So, um, I, I, you know, it's a bummer that, that this team, uh, a team that, you know, really Klein's been working on, like I said, for – since he's really been here, uh, has this type of schedule because I think it would have been a special season. And it still could be a special season, of course. Uh, but I think it would know, have been fun to see what they could do to showcase their talents against uh, better, better teams. But uh, it is what it is. And, and once again, they're, they're taking care of business against teams they should. They should. And, and then winning uh, decisively and, and, and putting up a lot of points. And I think obviously the, the whole country is taking notice with the ranking they've got. But – um, you know, it's, it's, I think the reason we can't talk about the past at this point is because we see what the future holds. And you see, a, you see an offensive line unit that's got a lot of depth and a lot of guys that, are, that played and will contribute. Uh, you see Zach Wilson as a junior, um, and, and um, you know, he's got now a couple more years. You've got Tyler Jericho, Katoa, 
Gunnar Romney. I mean, there's just a lot of talent there that they're starting to build and now it's building a depth. And I'll say this, kind of last thing about this. The, the great thing about this current BYU team is now you've got a lot of upperclassmen that are playing, and it now allows the freshmen and sophomores to really start to grow into the system. They don't have to be thrust into starting as a freshman and sophomore, but they can sit there and learn behind these veteran guys. And then when their numbers call when they're a junior and senior, uh, now they're ready and prepared, and they've, they've had enough looks and practice, et cetera, to be able to come in and play. And you won't have those growing pains like you had at the beginning, uh, that Kalani had at the beginning when he, when he first came in. You know, uh, people ask me, do you like doing radio more or do you like doing TV more? You know, I get, I get that all the time. And, and the answer is there's cool things about both that I enjoy and both uh, lack something that I get out of the other one, right? So it's a good fit. And one of the things about radio is you don't see people's body language. Sometimes you catch the tone of the voice, but it's easier when you have the video and you have the body language as well. And I think people say a lot in nonverbal communication. You get a lot from more than just the words. So with Kalani, I've seen a couple of media availabilities that have really shown different sides of his personality. One that we see all the time, one that we don't see a lot, but you know it's there because if it weren't, he couldn't work for Kyle Winningham for a long time and had a great relationship with him. That's business, down to the facts, no BS, it's like this Kalani. And a lot of time he comes out, like he did after the last game, and I'm curious what you think of this. When the Army game was canceled, that was no BS, it's like this Kalani. And we don't see that a lot, but he was really to the point, he was on point, he was answering difficult questions, and it was like this. This is how it is. And I love seeing that Kalani. The Kalani we see a lot is the post-game Kalani. Hey, the guys are playing hard. They're playing for each other. They, you know, they really love each other. And I know he says that for multiple reasons. And I know there's some truth to it, and it matters in a team and in a group that you have that vibe. And I think it really pays off in recruiting. And so I know why he says that. I'm curious if you think he overplays that or if you think it's really important and you're glad he kind of has that post-game session that he had after the Troy win. Because honestly, I like that press conference. I didn't like the Army cancellation, but I really appreciated the way he addressed that head-on. I'm not as much into the fluffy Kalani post-game, but I know there's a reason for it, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. Yeah, listen, I, I think the players are playing the way right now as well because of Kalani. I think, I think he's very straightforward. I think he's honest with them. Um, and, and as a result, I think they rally around him. And, and I remember him saying, I think I mentioned here on the show last week as well, uh, the players asked him this year, they're like, hey, we want you to be more animated on the sideline. We want to see more dancing and things like that. And he mentioned that in one of our interviews with BOTD. And, and sure enough, that's what you get from him. You see him dancing all up and down the field. Uh, in fact, we were breaking down some film yesterday on our show after further review, and there was a play where Isaiah Kafusi almost had an interception. If you recall, it tipped off the receiver and went right into his hands, and he dropped it. Uh, and the Kalani was on the sideline just going crazy. I've never seen a coach, honestly. I mean, I mean he's done a lot of dancing and a lot of crazy stuff, uh, but he was just going nuts that, that he didn't get the interception. And it's stuff like that that I think, in the honesty you alluded to, it, it's stuff like that that makes these players rally around him. And I think that's why – uh, we also did a segment on the same show that we asked the players, why BYU? Why did you come to BYU? And half the responses were family, right? I've got a family tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted that sense of family. But a lot, but the other majority of them said Kalani. And it was a pretty simple answer. They, all they said was Kalani. 
Uh, and that's something that he's building with, with this program, with his team. We knew that coming into it, that he's a very, very personal guy. Um, and, and that was the hope that that would kind of shine through in his recruiting efforts. And I think it is. And, and you see that from the players. And I think that message is getting out. And I think, like you said, I think his recruits see that, that he's a very just straightforward, honest guy. And that's all you want from a coach. I mean, there's so much politics and stuff that goes into football uh, that if you can have a, a coach who's going to sit you down, just shoot you straight. I mean, that's all you can ask for. And, and, and when those guys do that, you respect them. So um, I think the team's rallying around him. It's fun to watch. And, and of course, he's, he's getting it right back. I mean, he's out there. He's their biggest cheerleader on the sideline. Uh, and it's not traditional. It's definitely not what, what, uh, what Lavelle did. It's not what Bronco did. But he's got his own style, and it's working. And it's, uh, it's kind of fun to watch as a fan. Yeah. All right. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, David. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll talk to you again next week. Hi, DJ. Take care. There's David Nixon, a former BYU linebacker, former NFL guy. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up.